Welcome back. This is Out on That Line's year-end recap. It has been quite a year. My name is Jeff with my co-host, Alex. Alex, how are you doing this week? I'll tell you what, Jeff. If you can't handle me at my worst, you certainly don't deserve me at my best, and that's what today is all about. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, we have been excited about doing this episode. Uh, we started talking about it a couple weeks ago, kind of getting the gears turning, getting the uh, the waters churning a little bit on this one. Um, we're going to talk about some things we really liked, not necessarily just ones that we talked about on the podcast. Um, we're going to po- talk about some ones that we didn't like. In fact, some that we hated, I'm sure. Um, it's just, you know, it's just a, uh, for us to kind of look back, you know, at the, what, 17 weeks that we've done so far of the show. Um, and then as well as the rest of the music before that in 2020 that had come out. Um, so it's been a weird year. You know, I think this year, more than most, we've gotten some kind of releases from artists that we normally wouldn't have gotten. Um, we've had the the kind of home recordings, which, you know, a few albums that have come out that we've done on the show have been very good. Um, Laura Jane Grace, for example. Um, I don't know if people are aware. Eddie Vedder just did one. He did a cover of Growing Up by Bruce Springsteen on it. You know, so I think this has been a shitty year for a lot of reasons, but you know, we've gotten a good look at our artists, you know, our favorite artists doing things a little differently than they normally would have. And it's been kind of cool. Yeah. And then by that same token, that sort of cuts both ways because we've gotten artists that we love who eke out a little gift for us in trying times. And then we mm-hmm. get stuff that nobody asked for. It's like Christmas just happened. So it's like, what did Taylor Swift stick down our chimney for christmas oh good (laughs) two albums that i don't want to spoil anything but may have made someone's worst list this year (laughs) yes uh taylor swift i think is certainly getting she earned herself two pieces of coal this year (laughs) yes yes Uh, actually maybe two trains full of coal you know if we're talking about the 1800s the industrial revolution uh we might have been able to start the industrial revolution with the amount of coal that Taylor Swift deserves this year. Oh, it would be the whiniest revolution ever. Why do I have to <laughs> shovel all this coal? I'm so pretty. My fingers hurt. Oh, this is really hard, you guys. It's like almost <laughs> harder than writing music for me. <laughs> so, I think, you know, what we should do is is start out I think what we we tend to do on the podcast is we tend to start out with things that we're a little angry about. Um, which is nice to get that aggression out there. But I think for our year-end recap, you know, let's start with a little bit more positivity. Positivity. It is the holiday season after all. Um, so, Alex, you would put together a good list of kind of how we want to break this down. And it's not necessarily something we have to stick to note by note here. But, you know, we were looking at best albums of the year, best songs of the year, best artists overall of the year, uh, the worst versions of those same things as well. So the other sides of the coin there, um, as well as a couple of cool little categories, you know, best musical collaboration, also worst musical collaboration and kind of best general musical moment of the year and also worst musical moment of the year. So some kind of cool ways, cool lenses to look at the year through. Um, and I think what we should do is probably start with best albums since we are an album based podcast. I think that would be a really good spot to start. Um, yeah, so for, I, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I have no problem with that. Kick us off. Um, so this is, you know, for me, was kind of easy because I didn't listen to a ton of music outside of what we listened to for the podcast. Um, you know, a lot of the things, a lot of the artists that I love were ones that we reviewed on the podcast anyway. So the albums that I was excited for, you know, have I've already kind of gone over, extolled their virtues. But I definitely want to kind of compile a list here of the ones that I've kept going back to continuously. 
Um, leading off, I think, to no one's surprise, is Bruce Springsteen's Letter to You. Um, this one for me was kind of going back to why I loved Bruce in the first place, which is you you hear a lot of yourself in his music. And I thought this, this album in particular was one that you could really draw a lot of parallels to your own life, no matter who you are, um, because everybody's experienced these emotions that he's, that he's going over on this one. So excellent, excellent album from Bruce on that one. Um, and do you want to do, we just do one by one, or do you want to each do our whole list? I mean, I, I, We'll, we'll be fast and loose, I think. It depends on how many you have. I, right now, I can tell you that Letter to You also, to no one's surprise, made one of my best albums of the year for the exact same reasons. I found myself telling my stepdad on Christmas Day, we were talking about music and the podcast and all that stuff, and I was like, buddy, I know you're not like the biggest Bruce Springsteen guy, but it's worth taking a look at Letter to You because especially for someone from New Jersey who is mm-hmm. Bruce Springsteen's age and grew up with that music. And for those of you that don't know my stepdad, he loves to tell stories about when he was uh, our age and he went to a Sabbath concert and a bunch of people got stabbed. Um, so that's the kind of life he was living. So maybe not listening to a ton of Springsteen. But like, I just found myself like heaping the praise. You can't even call it effusive because I meant every syllable, but mm-hmm. just heaping praise on that album. And it's like really made me realize that for people who have a comfort zone, that album is right in the pocket. But it brings so much new material to the table as well. It's not content to dwell in Bruce's past. It's mm-hmm. bringing past to present and marrying it all together. It's really kind of like a career achievement to the point where I think I said on that episode, this is the last one he does. This is a hell of a note to go out on. We have no reason to believe that's the case. But it's just it was a, an excellent referendum on the, the career of Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, it was it. it... That one, I think, you know, I tell everybody that I talk to, you know, and and a lot of people aren't necessarily Bruce Springsteen fans. I think they kind of look at it as their dad's music, not Mm -hmm. necessarily their music. Mm -hmm. Um, I think just I implore you, give it a chance, you know, give his other music a chance because there's something he's over the, what, 50 years now that he's been really a prominent artist, Um, you know, there's something there for everybody. You know, even if you have to go all the way back to the first album, Greetings from Asbury Park, um, or up to this newest one, Letter to You, there's something in between there that is going to apply and appeal to you no matter what. Um, so I just implore you, get into it, because Bruce is incredible. He's one of our best artists ever. And you know, and certainly this album kind of lives up to, to his name. Um, now, another one that I think is going to be on my list as well as yours this is just a guess, but Thundercat, it is what it is. You know what? I, I Once again, like when we did the put together your own tribute band mm-hmm. thing and you put Thundercat in at base, yeah. it was one of those things where I'm like, that feels like the obvious move for me. So I didn't do it once again. Not because I didn't love yeah. that album. I really did. Um, but I actually like stuck to three albums that we covered on the pod and then three that we didn't. Just yeah. randomly, and I ran none of this by you. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, so I didn't pick that, but not because I didn't love it. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's understandable. Um, it's, it's definitely, I feel like it's not a, it's not similar to a lot of other albums that we did. You know, we think we did a lot of albums that had real kind of concepts around them. And while this one was one that he did kind of a tribute to Mac Miller, you know, there was not a lot of, a lot of continuity thematically throughout the whole album you know it's just basically you know what's the craziest jazz i can play you know what's the craziest bass line i can play in this you know um and i 
it was such a surprise to me because it's not a type of music that I normally listen to that this album really stuck because with how much I liked it and how far away it was from the generally the kind of music that I normally listen to. Um, it was just such a standout for me for that reason. You know, it was like when you've had a kind of food that you'd never had before and it's all of a sudden one of the most amazing things you've ever tried, you know, and it's just one of those things that I'll always go back to so many songs on this album because they're just fun to listen to, you know, not necessarily for the emotional depth, even though it is a very emotional album for him, you know, just the sheer musical talent, the beats that he comes up with in this, in this album, you know, the, the wide range of genres that he kind of compiles all into one. It was really just a fun, fun experience listening to that album. It is. It's a tight album. It's technically excellent. It's very fun and experimental and, in a year where you get two Taylor Swift albums of, of just like nonstop navel gazing, mm-hmm. not to jump ahead, but <laughs> it, it was very refreshing. And I guess like I've, I've been on the Thundercat train since I lived with you in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like when I first started listening to like his EPs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't necessarily new to me, but I've just like loved everything he's done. He's so creative, but yeah. in terms of like, how I went about picking three albums that we covered for the pod, it kind of inadvertently shook out where I'll just say what I picked. I had Letter to You by Bruce Springsteen, mm-hmm. which is kind of about bringing the past into the present. I picked Miley Cyrus' Plastic Hearts because to yeah. me that felt like taking control of your future in the present, which I know this all sounds like hippie gobbledygook, but. It felt like her looking to the future and being like, I've found a sound that I think I can really command and and master moving forward. And then I also picked something that was completely of the moment, which was RTJ4. And I just look at those three albums in the context of the year that we're having, what those artists were trying to say, where they are in their careers. And they felt like beyond the quality of the album, just purely the music that was on the album, what are they trying to say? How does it match up with the moment? Those three albums out of everything we covered stood out to me as being like some of the more important slash enjoyable things mm-hmm. we listened to all year. So those are my three RTJ four letter to you and plastic hearts. Yeah. Um, I also had RTJ four. I figured on my list, um, you know, run the jewels for me. I think run the jewels two was when I first really kind of got to know, you know, who they were. Um, and Killer Mike I'd listened to for years and years because he did this stuff with, you know, with Dungeon Music, with Outcast, you know, mm-hmm. way back in the day. Um, so, you know, I, I've listened to him for a long time and I'd heard of LP, um, you know, just from, you know, kind of tangentially through other artists that I'd listened to. I hadn't really listened to much of him at all um, and still haven't listened to much of him outside of Run the Jewels. But yeah, Run the Jewels 4 was one of the best albums of the year, I think specifically because of all those reasons that you said that the time that we're in the voice that they have, you know, the fact that they're unapologetic about saying exactly what they want to say, you know, they'll talk about smoking a blunt in the same song, but they talk about social issues. You know, there's no, you know, they don't have, it's, they present themselves all as one package instead of just trying to say, okay, well, this is a protest song and this is a party song. It's, you know, they're all, all things at once. You know, and it's just really kind of refreshing to have them do that. You know, and it's it's something that I think no matter what kind of musical background you come from of things that you enjoyed in the past, the 
talent that they both have, you know, the production talent that LP has where, you know, he's a perfectionist, you know, he's the kind of guy where they kind of have to rip the stuff out of his hands. They're like, it's ready. You need to release it. Cause he'll just stay trying to fix it forever and ever and ever. Um, you know, the, it's just, you can hear how passionate they are and how much fun they're having doing it. So, it, you know, for the same reasons I love Thundercat, you know, that's the reasons I love run the jewels and because they just, no part of it is ever, uninteresting to listen to you know there's no run the jewels song even from this album or any of their past ones that you're going to put on and be like oh this is bad or they didn't put as much effort into this as they should you know and i think that's why this year they've really blown up is because people have realized that run the jewels is one of the most important musical voices that we have going right now yeah, and they've they've taken everything that Kanye West defenders and don't get me wrong. I I love Kanye's music. Friend of the mm-hmm. Pod Tyler like really really took me on a a deep ride into it because yeah. I I'd heard like you know as much Kanye as the next person. I was like, yeah, it's mm-hmm. good. But then like when someone really appreciates it and they kind of clockwork orange you and make you sit there and like consume it. Yeah. And synthesize and analyze and all of that stuff you see it on a different level. So I'm, I'm high on his music when it sucks. It sucks. Um, I did not like some of the stuff off Pablo. Um, no. most of the stuff off Pablo. Um, but he, if you are one of these people that believes like, Oh, he's not crazy. He's just receiving messages from the universe at such a rate that he can't process them all. Like yeah, run the jewels, have that same gift, I guess, mm-hmm. where, They've got a lot of information to process. They've got a lot on their minds. It's different themes and stuff. They just do a better job of streamlining it and making it interesting and mm-hmm. not about themselves. Kanye yeah. West, a little too much about like, this is Kanye making a statement about Kanye and Kanye's role in the world. And Run the Jewels are like, this is what we see going on around us. And we're going to try to make a little sense for you. And it's like you said, we'll get you in here talking about how much fun we're having smoking weed. But yeah. now that you're here, do you have a minute to sit and talk about police violence? Like, mm-hmm. it's it's a beautiful marriage that never hits you over the head and stands up as just excellent fucking music with a great message. So yep. for that reason, they're, they're at the top of my list to end the year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had... Two more um, I'll mention real quick because I am very interested at the at the three that you picked outside of the pod. Um, so I want to get mine out of the way because they're both ones that we did on the pod. Um, the Weekend After Hours, you know, I think The Weekend in general is just a really excellent artist, and you know, After Hours was a truly great album. And this is another chance for me to really sh- tell people how pissed they should be that he's not nominated for one mm-hmm. single Grammy for this album. Um, I think after he kind of came out with his, you know, his statements about how upset he is about it as well. Um, there's been a lot of artists that are coming out and saying, well, the Grammys is kind of bullshit anyway, you know, so it, it, you know, we're not mad that we're not nominated, but it is still the biggest musical award show in the world. You know, no matter what you want to say about it, it is still the biggest platform for artists to get recognition on, um, you know, other than maybe the billboard charts themselves, the Grammys getting a Grammy is a validation in itself. you know, getting nominated is a validation in itself, of the work that you're doing. Um, and it can make or break a career. Like it really truly can for the weekend. It's not going to matter either way. He's established enough, but if it's a new, if a new artist can come out with an album as good as after hours and not been nominated, they might not get a record label to give them a deal for a second album, you know? So it is a big deal in that, 
you know, it can make or break a career. Um, I will absolutely recommend After Hours. I think Top to Bottom is a really excellent album, a really interesting look at the celebrity lifestyle that he unapologetically lives, but still sees it for what it is. You know, and I think it's a really interesting, it's almost like a documentary of his life um, in R&B form. It's a really excellent album, and I, and I can't recommend that one enough for people. And the other album that I had on here was Laura Jane Grace, Stay Alive. Mm. Now, this one was one of those ones that I mentioned was the kind of at-home quarantine album that she wrote and recorded, I think, very quickly. Um, you know, she just decided when Against Me wasn't going to be able to go out on tour that she was going to go ahead and just do her own album. And she's done her own kind of side projects and solo stuff in the past anyway. So it's not as if this is a brand new thing um, that she's released music outside of Against Me. But... You know, knowing the history of Against Me and knowing the history of Laura Jane Grace, you know, this album felt like a real kind of culmination of all of those influences, you know, both her her life outside of the music as well as life in the industry, you know, really kind of culminating and coming together to make a really excellent solo album. Yeah, and the thing with that is like to me, it was it had moments where it was very hit or miss, but that's what made it such a great album, mm-hmm. is it was just total expression. She wasn't really trying to filter it through anything. So sometimes you have a thought worth you know, exploring and talking about further, and sometimes you don't. But you have mm-hmm. to put it all out there. So, I mean, yeah. I respect it for the whole rather than the sum of its parts. So that was another really good one. Um, and then I guess I'm going to jump into, do you have? did you have more on your list of... No, uh, that was it. I'm, okay. I, I want to hear yours. I want to hear these three that you did that we didn't do on the pod. I'm we'll do these three real quick. The first one, obviously, is Mordecai by Krungbin. I've crowed mm-hmm. about it a couple times. Um, a Samson Simpson, I stick by my story. It's a great <laughs> album. Um, it's it's fun. I'm not saying it's like the best thing I've ever heard, but it's an earworm. Yeah, I, I got into that album. I bought it on vinyl. I like spun it a million times. So it's just something that lends itself to a lot of different moods. It's a little different. It's it's very light on lyrics. It's extremely world music focused. Mm-hmm. Um, so for that reason, I recommend Mordecai by Krungbin. Um, also, Phoebe Bridger's Punisher was mm-hmm. one we did not get to cover. We, there were two albums we didn't get to cover in 2020. I was hoping we'd get to. No reason we can't in 2021. Yeah. Um, but Fetch the Bolt Cutters by Fiona Apple is one. Mm-hmm. I'm not personally super interested in, but it's got so much hype around it. I think Pitchfork named that their best album of the year as well. I I think you're right. And I do believe it's nominated for Grammys. Fiona Apple Mm -hmm. is nominated. And she came out and was like, the Grammys are horseshit. So you can't say it's Sour Grapes for the weekend, right? Um, But Punisher, Phoebe Bridgers, um, that was a really fun interesting indie album we didn't get to but you know maybe with some of this new content we've got coming out in 2021 i'll do a little mini dive into it or something like that yeah that's a fun one to look at and then finally sawayama by rena sawayama Mm -hmm. um she's just a really interesting person who's lived a lot of life in a really short time and if you liked miley cyrus plastic hearts this is kind of an indie version of that it's an artist that someone looked at and went, okay, well, you know, Japanese girl from the UK, uh, we know how we can package this. We'll mm-hmm. give you kind of a J-pop rapper and let your little, like, you know, bubbly London charm come out. And 
it'll be safe. It'll be easily digestible. And she's another person that was like, that doesn't interest me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. If I want to do metal, I'm going to do metal. If I want to do girl pop, I'm going to do girl pop. If I want to do punk, if I want to do alternative. So it's kind of, uh, this album samples from a lot of genres and it's like an utterly accessible pop album at the same time. So again, Sawayama by Rina Sawayama, I highly recommend. It's it's mm-hmm. got a lot on there for you to like. Okay, I, I'm gonna check those out. And I think what we can do, what we should do is, um, you know, I can certainly put together a graphic that we can put out on Instagram and and you know the rest of our social medias and just kind of list all of these so folks have a reference. Um, because I did listen to that Krungbin album as well after you had after you had recommended it, and you know it is light on lyrics, but as kind of a soundtrack album when you're doing some other things, it was excellent. You know, like if you're doing mowing the lawn or anything like that, it's, it's really, you get, you can feel the grooves and the music, you know, you, it's like you feel those things and it doesn't need lyrics for you to feel that kind of emotional expression. That would, that was an excellent album as well. I like that one. Yeah. It's just fun. You know, like mm-hmm. driving around, listening to time, you and I like what a, that song is such a jam. Pelota yeah. is a fucking amazing song. Mm-hmm. So like there's, there's a lot to get excited about on that one. It's very atmospheric. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll put together a little graphic with, with all this stuff that we go over in this episode, uh, because I think, you know, it, it would encapsulate the kind of things that we were interested in as well. Um, so you can get to know, you know, going into 2021, what kind of content that you should be looking forward to. Um, and as far as doing the Phoebe Bridges album, I think that's still perfectly fair to do, even though it came out in 2020, you know, if we're recording, you know, next week would be what, like January 3rd or 4th, I think, or something like that, that we record on. There's not going to be a whole lot of albums that come out between January 1st and, and when we record, right. um, you know, so I think for the first, you know, through January, at least, you know, I think we got a little grace period there of still doing some albums that came out in 2020. Um, you know, so I think that's one that we should get to. And I think that Fiona Apple one is one that we should do as well. I, do, um, just, I agree. Just because seeing the accolades that it got, and I'm really not that familiar with Fiona Apple, you know, other than, you know, that song, I think Criminal was the one yep. she came out with years and years ago, um, which I enjoy. And I know she's a, a very good artist. I just haven't, you know, those, that world hasn't come into my world, um, you know, as of yet. But I think those are two albums that we should probably do. And I think we have, you know, we do have a great period. It's also our podcast. We'll do what we want to do. I mean, fuck, we did a CCR album that came out in what, 69, 71, yeah. something like that. So, yeah. You know, and we did that, the Elvis Costello, you know, we did Casey Musgraves that came out last year, Tyler Childers that came out last year. So yeah, yeah we, we, there's, there's perfect. It's perfectly fair. It's all perfectly legal to do for us on the, on the it's podcast. It's all here. perfectly legal. <laughs> uh, so what do you say we move on to best songs? Um, and I, unless you had more on the albums? No, I literally was just about to say, okay, and I just picked the worst times to speak, so. <laughs> well, someday when we get in the same room, you know, these these, these vocal cues, these things are going to be a lot easier for us to pick up on. Um, I but I think, I think we keep it together pretty well, as is here. Um, so to start off with, you know, I think, again, no surprise here, Ghosts from Letter to You, the Bruce Springsteen album, um, was probably my favorite song of the year. I've listened to this song probably 50 times or so um it just is everything i love about bruce springsteen and the fact that he still was able to do it 50 years later you know on on his newest album at what 71 years old he's yeah 71 years old he was born the same year as my dad um 
just an absolutely incredible song and it just rocks it's just everything i love about springsteen yeah it was definitely the first sign that like because like we covered letter to you as a single and i remember Mm -hmm. being like i don't know and now i love that fucking song but when it was when ghost came out as a single i remember being like oh okay the boss is here everybody look busy because he means business (laughs) yeah so yeah it's it put yeah for some reason i don't know i feel like that song letter to you when it came out as a standalone song it was just weirdly cheesy like it was just weirdly kind of very hokey um and then when it got put in context with the rest of the album it all of a sudden became a classic you know it's like i don't know i feel like i'm trying to think of one to compare it to on another you know, on another Bruce Springsteen album, maybe, maybe like even born to run on, you know, the, the born to run album. When you hear that song, you're like, Oh, it's just a single rock song. But then when you listen to it in context of the whole album, you know, and, and, you know, kind of get that whole concept all together, completely changes that song and puts it on a whole nother level. Um, You know, I don't think I ever heard born to run the song and was ever thinking it was hokey like I thought letter to you but it just I guess as far as just the meaning of it and how much it connected with me changed completely when I listened to it in context with the whole album well it's tough too when the whole album when all the songs are united around a theme to pick mm-hmm. one thing out of that and release it as a single is very tough because yeah. like you said that context isn't there and it probably works better within the flow of the album but once again you know once you hear it as it's meant to be experienced you just keep coming back for more. It's a really fun song, but I mean, at, you know, ghosts being your pick. I mean, if you want to get someone into that album specifically, in fact, I should go play that for my stepdad when this is over yeah. to entice him. That's a good, it's a really good pick. Yeah. That's a good one. What do you got? So mine is not one from an album we've covered. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just a song I listened to a lot this year and it is Kenny Hoopla. How will I rest in peace if I'm buried by a highway? It's a really okay. interesting post-punk, angry, fast-paced song that I think has a lot of potential to bring that post-punk sound back and freshen mm-hmm. it up for the modern age. Um, so, I mean, post-punk, there are a lot of different examples. You can say that Elvis Costello is technically post-punk, Talking Heads, like uh, Blondie. Like, there's there's a lot you can you can push into that mm-hmm. definition. But why I think I like it, first of all, it's got this incredibly catchy line, she's going to cut my head off. He's just, he screams that over and over. Mm-hmm. He's going to cut my head off, but I don't care. I don't care. Just like mm-hmm. over and over again. It's just this like very angsty, but methodical song, really tightly made. And I'm surprised more hasn't been made of it because it's just got such an easy appeal and I like I've never heard anyone else except for of all people, miser of the pod Rory, who mm-hmm. loved that song. In fact, was the person that got it on my radar. Yeah, the guy who hates everything was like, "It's a pretty good song." <laughs> when I listened to it. I'm like, "It's a damn good song, Fitzgerald. Good for you." <laughs> so for that reason alone, it makes my list a little yeah. little shine to the the little gutter critter over there. Yeah, I'm gonna have to listen to that because I think you know. And, you know, certainly hate to give him as much credit as we're giving him right now. But, you know, Rory has been very influential um, in my musical taste. Like, I don't think I would have ever been as into Against Me as I got if it wasn't for Rory. Um, You know, and a lot of 
the kind of punk music, like the Lawrence Arms, you know, there's a lot of bands I probably never would have even heard of if it wasn't for Rory. So, you know, I'd certainly have him to thank for that. So I'll have to check that song out because he does tend to, you know, as far as music goes, he does tend to, to know what I like to listen to. Um, and so I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, stop clock is right twice a day, right? <laughs> Blind Squirrel finds a nut once in a while. Exactly. <laughs> Um, for me, one that it's a, so I'm kind of taking some liberties with this one because it's not a song that came out in 2020, but a version of it did. Um, so Sturgill Simpson's Cut and Grass Volume 2. So we did the Cut and Grass Volume 1 album um, as one of the selections on the pod, but he came out with the second version of that, the second volume, uh, pretty recently. The version of Keep It Between the Lines on that album is absolutely incredible the bluegrass version of that it's just so funky it's just such a fresh take on it um it's one of the reasons why Sturgill is has cemented himself as one of my favorite artists um because he just decided to take an already great song that he had on sailor's guide to earth and change it up completely and make it as good if not better than the original and i don't know many other artists that would one take one of their pretty recent songs change it like he did and make it sound so good on this new album. And by his metric, a song is great if it can be just you and a guitar. So to follow that logic, if you strip something back and it, it maintains its level of quality and the meaning isn't lost, it's a good song. Mm -hmm. if, if like, you know, it relies entirely on like the killer guitar part and you suddenly don't have that and it's a bad song. It was never a good song to begin with. Yeah. You just liked the guitar part. So that's the power of Sturgill. He's extremely versatile, extremely committed. So, yeah, that's a good one, too. Yeah. What do you got next? Um, honestly, I only really picked one pick for best song. Yeah. I kept I kept for song best and worst to one pick each. Okay. So right. Kenny, Kenny Hoopla, just again, because i've listened to that song over and over and over and over and over this year like since yeah. i found out about it it's just one of those songs you get into a mood you put that on i have other songs that i've listened to that again it's cheating because they're not from 2020 so i guess it kind of fudges the exercise oh my god the fluorescent lights in here are going nuts. <laughs> <laughs> um having a so yeah, over there yeah right it's perfect for that song too i wish we could play it on here just gonna cut my head off <laughs> uh, it's just a fucking absolute jam so i knew like with authority that's my song of the year and i hope yeah there are big things for kenny hoopla i i would assume i haven't found any information on it but i would assume there's an album coming out yeah. sooner rather than later so i'm i'm looking forward to that okay well I'll, I'll have to keep my eye on that i have one more um i picked three for my best for my best song so i had ghosts um keep it between the lines and i had picked dying breed by the killers um this is one and i kind of went by the metric of like what songs have i listened to the most like what ones when i'm just when i have a song to listen to on my way to the store like which one am i going right to to, to put on and dying breed by the killers off their new album was one of them um and it is just one of those songs that you know obviously i love bruce springsteen the killers are bruce springsteen kind of disciples you know they they very much you know i think i read in a review that one of their albums like was like a neon springsteen fever dream you know and i couldn't think of a more accurate kind of way to describe them and dying breed is just such a huge bombastic song you know it's got that really kind of 
you know, you're either with us or against us. It's us against the world kind of vibe to it. You know, where he's like, baby, we're a dying breed. And it's just such a Springsteen kind of lyric, but sung by Brandon Flowers and this huge kind of electric rock band that the killers have become. And it's just such a good song. And, you know, that's such a good point, too. Like, lines like, uh, they say the devil's water ain't so sweet, you don't have to drink right now. Yeah. Like, if you told me Bruce Springsteen wrote that for them, I'd believe you. Yeah. You know, they're just so, they're just almost to the point of cheesy. You know, they're just, but for some reason, when you embrace that as an artist, you know, instead of, like, looking, you know, the killer's, Brandon Flowers is probably never going to sit there and tell you that he's written the greatest lyrics of all time. You know, he's never going to sit there and tell you that, you know, that Bob Dylan is a hack, you know, because he doesn't write lyrics as good as Brendan Flowers does. You know, he's never going to do that. I think when you embrace that cheese, that kind of hokiness and really go after it and it's authentic, you know, then it becomes authentic. It doesn't become something that you're trying to write because you think it's good. You think people are going to find it to be very deep and emotionally relevant for them. Um, It's just, he's just basically writing himself a movie when he writes these albums and he does it better than anybody else right now. This killers album was a really nice surprise when we did it. I was never Mm -hmm. like a huge killers guy, like Mm -hmm. again, pretty much the standards. So I'm glad that we did that one. It was a, it ended up being a really nice surprise and I've gone back to it a couple times since we've covered it. So good, good year for the killers. Yeah. It was a good year for the killers. Hopefully they got maybe another two years. They'll we'll, we'll do their next album. (laughs) Yeah. It'll be a Patreon yeah. only episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's get into best artists, and then we can get into Terrence and Folks Park. All right, I love it. Some I things love that it. we're upset about. Yes. Um, so I'm just going to name my three best. I'm just going to name them right off the top here. I'm going to say Sturgill Simpson, Bruce Springsteen, and Thundercat. Um, as far as the music that I've continuously gone back to listen to, um, the messages that they've put out. You know, I follow Thundercat on Twitter now, and he's just a delight. He's just an absolutely off-the-wall person, marches by the beat of his own drum. Uh, Bruce, obviously, with the new album, you know, as well as his kind of political statements, you know, has been a really relevant person this year. Um, And then Sturgill as well, with his comments about the CMAs, releasing two albums, you know, the Cut and Grass albums, even though they were songs he'd already written, you know, to reimagine two full albums worth of music. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do, especially during a pandemic, to get that all recorded. You know, those three guys, to me, you know, really kind of made my year in music. Definitely. And as far as, like, Sturgill goes, yeah, he could have farted out a a two-part best of and Mm -hmm. still made money off of it. Yeah. And literally put no effort into it other than, like, yeah, the best of Sturgill Simpson so far, volume one. Like, Mm -hmm. he could have done that, and he didn't, and, and... you know, look at what we got. He's he's incredibly prolific and hardworking. I mean, Bruce Springsteen, he still he proved he still fucking got it. And Thundercat, you know, he the sky is the fucking limit for him. I really, yeah. really can't argue with any of those choices. Um, and mine, my pick for artist of the of twenty twenty mm-hmm. is another friend of the pod. It's that real hot girl shit, Megan the Stallion. <laughs> And what my year. artist of 2020. What a fucking year for her. Yeah. I mean, I get that like end of 2019 is when things like started to really kind of pick up steam mm-hmm. for her, but 2020 saw the release of her like it saw the release of Good News, first of all, mm-hmm. which is huge. It's that album. Um, 
but I mean the Savage collaboration with Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's a good thing that she got shot by Tory Lanez. Yeah, but she's interesting because she took that incident and it didn't become like the defining moment for her. Mm-hmm. It became a footnote in her story because that's what she made it. She was like, I'm not going to sit here and play the fucking victim because of a, you know, small brained, fragile egoed man did something out. like she could have milked that and mm-hmm. made that her shtick. She addressed it in the first half of one song and went, getting shot is not the most interesting thing about me. It's yeah. just something that happened. It's a piece of trivia. So she is so interesting to me because she can hang with the guys. I think she's at the tip of the spear in turning rap, at least interesting rap, going forward into a woman's game. Because you mm-hmm. have people like you know Nicki Minaj, if you want to call her an elder stateswoman, if you want to call Beyonce yeah. an elder stateswoman. It's weird to say Nicki Minaj could be an elder stateswoman at this point, right? It's totally fucking weird. Yeah. But if you want to say, like, they've had their day, I don't want to say old news because that's kind of as a mean connotation. Mm -hmm. But if you want to say, okay, Nicki Minaj, Beyonce have kind of laid some groundwork. Um, And then you have, like, Doja Cat, who had herself a year, too. Mm -hmm. But I just don't think has captured the national zeitgeist as much as Megan Thee Stallion. Because Megan Thee Stallion is real as fuck. Her sense of style is real. She knows who she is, makes mm-hmm. no apologies for it. She's called Megan the Stallion because when she was a kid, everyone said, you're built like a pony. You're yeah. stocky like a little horse. And she took that <laughs> and went, okay, well, the other meaning of stallion is unstoppable, blue chip, and that yeah. is me. I'm a yeah. stallion. So now that I've blossomed from a you know thick baby pony into a fucking grown-ass female horse which sounds weird because i'm very attracted to her and it sounds like i'm attracted (laughs) to horses now (laughs) but i'll take it if they all look like megan the stallion like she's just had herself a damn year she's she's had her music is incredible her personality is 100 like she's she's really got the makings to Mm -hmm. be someone that is going to be a leading voice in the changes that take place in rap and i think Mark my words, rap is going to become a woman's game yeah. starting in 2021. I think you're going to see women completely take over the game. They just have way more to say at this point. Mm-hmm. They're way more interesting about it. So, you know, keep your eyes on Megan the Stallion moving forward. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's and there's a lot of artists that, you know, they're interesting people. You know, they're interesting as celebrities in a lot of instances. But when you have the talent and you come out with an album as good as good news is, um, you know, that's what's going to give Megan Thee Stallion her staying power. So as long as she continues to produce the good music, that means she's going to stay relevant enough that we can enjoy everything else that she does. Um, You know, I can see her easily getting into acting at some point, you know, because she's just got this really kind of big personality. This almost like ethereal presence about her where it's like, you know, you kind of get a sense with some people like that's a star, you know, you get that sense about them. Um, I don't really get that sense about Doja Cat for some reason. You know, I think she is talented and I do enjoy her music. I just think that she doesn't have as much of that aura about her. So when you say that she hasn't, she didn't quite capture the same things Megan Thee Stallion did, I think that's the difference. 
is, you know, Doja Cat has come out, you know, as a fairly prolific artist at this point, you know, she comes out with a lot of stuff and she does like to try a bunch of different things. But I think if you sit them both down for an interview, I think you're going to get a lot more interesting insight from Megan the Stallion than you will out of Doja Cat. And I think that's the difference between them is because Megan the Stallion has something to say in whatever realm she decides she wants to get into. I think Doja Cat is specifically just musically is where she has her things to say. Yeah. And the thing with Doja Cat too, is there's kind of a, uh, she's a, just comes across as a little condescending. Like Mm -hmm. I, I've watched interviews with her. I watch like her Instagram content and there's this kind of like element where she simultaneously doesn't take anything seriously, but takes herself way too seriously. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I don't give a shit about this, but like the fact that she said, if you guys get say, so the say, so remix with Nicki Minaj, to number one i'll show my boobs yeah and like she's obviously i'm not like well she had an obligation a verbal contract <laughs> to dump, dump them out on instagram live <laughs> but just like the fact that she did that and then was like you guys were stupid for believing that it's like yeah you know simps can be fucking dangerous there's nothing to say that yeah. there's not a mark david chapman out there that's gonna go okay doja cat deprived me of boob so maybe i should yeah. go to her house and threaten her like that's yeah. like do what you want obviously nothing that you do or say gives anybody the right to cause you bodily harm but yeah her disdain for her fans some of whom are only in it for her ass yeah and for the fact that she kind of like leads with her sexuality like you're you're playing a bit of a dangerous game to be so disdainful about it and I also think it reframes the conversation again from social issues. And she's under no obligation to talk about those things if they're not interesting to her. Yeah. But I think it all conspires to make her feel a little less, a lot less substantial for as much as I enjoy her than Megan the Stallion. Yeah. And to your point about acting and stuff, I think that's 100% on the horizon. Fun fact about her, she's a big horror fan. Okay. And she's got like an idea for, she described it as like the movie Halloween. Mm-hmm. but kind of set in the context of the world of rapping and female rappers. So like, okay. I think ostensibly she would make that as a star vehicle for herself. But I mean, the fact that she's thinking about these things, she's written scripts, she's done like a horror short before I forget what it's called, but she's obsessed with horror, which I okay. also love. So I think you are going to see her branch out into a lot of different areas. And I'm really interested because she's just, again, got a wholly original voice. And yeah, you know, the sky's the limit. I mean, and it's not to say that it hasn't happened before. I mean, look how much success Rob Zombie has had in yeah. the horror film genre. And I mean, he came from music. So, I mean, the, the path is there. So I think absolutely, if that's something she wants to do, then she's she's definitely got the creative energy to get something like that done. You know, so I think if that's something she decides that's what she's going to get passionate about and make it happen, I absolutely think she can do it. And that's a great pick for artist of the year. You know, I think as far as just capturing the kind of national attention musically, she's probably done a better job than anybody. Yeah, I would say so. And that's kind of what I was thinking about is like, okay, it can be the best for me. What would that be? Mm -hmm. But also like who is undisputed. And I think like you would have a hard time arguing against her inclusion. If you want to say she's top 10 or top five or whatever, we have to have that debate. But she's on that list. Like, mm-hmm. or you can you can debate if she's number one, but she's at least at the fucking top, cream of the crop. Here. Yeah. So that's who I'm putting my vote behind. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good one. Um, so we've gotten our favorites 
out of the way. You know, the ones that we objectively think have been, have put out some really great creative content for us this year. Um, I think if folks have listened to the podcast, we also tend to enjoy talking about things that we don't like, um, you know, getting that aggression out there. So I think what we should do is start with the worst albums. And for me, there's a tie at the top and just so happens to be that they're by the same person. I'm talking about Folklore and Evermore by Taylor Swift. And I think now this one, I'm, I'm pretty, I can feel safe in saying at least one of those two <laughs> is also at your top for this year. Well, Jeff, when you're right, you're right. And when you're right twice, you're right twice, because those two are at the very top of my list for worst of the year. Mm-hmm. Just the most minimal effort. And the more I see from her, the more upset I get. And I understand mm-hmm. it's stupid to get upset at artists for image reasons, but I hate this thing now where she's like created herself a quarantine aesthetic where it's all cardigans and her hair is like when she doesn't do anything to it, it's very curly. Mm-hmm. This idea that she's now pitching herself as just some girl, you know? Yeah. Like relatable, the girl next door, because she is to be pined after and you know, maybe if you're lucky, she'll pine after you and write a song yeah. about that boy that she spent that summer with and broke her heart. There's just it. The music becomes less and less substantial artistically and emotionally as we go along. These attempts to reinvent herself as someone who understands your struggle. It's she's full of shit, because if you listen to her music, you're like, did an alien make this? Is she the bug from Men in Black? Give me sugar and water. Like, I don't I don't believe you've ever cried in your life. Like, unless, like, Qdoba fucked up your order. Like, I don't know. Like, I just don't. I, I have a harder and harder time buying the words that come out of her mouth. Mm-hmm. The music is no great shakes. The emotional core is not there for me. If you like her, that's fine. It's not a referendum on your taste. I'm just expressing what mine is, and I think Taylor Swift is a fraud, and this year and those two albums kind of proved it to me. Yeah, and I, I'd really like to expound on your Men in Black reference there. <laughs> um, you know, the the alien you're referencing played by Vincent D'Onofrio, and I think Taylor Swift is about as good at making music as Vincent D'Onofrio is at acting, and I think he is a pretty terrible actor. Whoa, hot take yeah. there. A lot of people yeah. I talk to are like, he's so good. Yeah, I, I, just, I mean, what, Law & Order, Criminal Intent was terrible. There's a reason awesome. that one's not on. There's a reason that the original ran for like 20 seasons and SVU was on its like 22nd and Criminal Intent got like five because yeah. they had cast two of the worst leading television actors that they could have possibly done. Um, I think maybe probably Full Metal Jacket is the only role I've ever liked him in and maybe as the alien because, you know, who could really fuck that up um you know i just think he's bad you know he played what was the uh, kingpin in daredevil it's terrible yep. yeah yeah i mean just just bad all around um and my biggest problem with taylor swift is i think you were kind of touching on it a little bit where she she treats music as an aesthetic rather than a real true creative vehicle it's it's more about an image for her and well, that's fine. If that's what you want to listen to, then that's fine. But by no means should I do I think she should be on anybody's best of list ever. And people want to buy her albums, that's fine. People bought Millie Vanilli albums. Like that's <laughs> that's always gonna happen. You know what I mean? It's just to me, it doesn't 
makes sense that she's put up on this pedestal as one of our generation's greatest artists. And and I'm telling you, reading some of the reviews, like I did, um, Rolling Stone had, you know, a list of where all of their writers picked their top 10 favorite albums. And there was a lot of folks that had the same ones on there. Like Bruce's Letter to You was on there on a lot of people's lists. Miley Cyrus was on there on a lot of people's lists. You know, Thundercat made it on a bunch as well. Um, Phoebe Bridgers was on a lot of people's lists as well, Fiona Apple. So a lot of artists that, you know, I think deservedly so were on there. It may not all be music that I liked. And a lot of the choice, I was like, eh, I didn't really like that album. But there's a difference. When I say I don't like something like Yacht Rock, you know, and I've had a pretty firm stance against that, I, I don't ever question the musical ability. You know, I, I just, to me, it just is music that doesn't ring true to me. Um, you know, and that's not the case with Taylor Swift. You know, I've tried to like it. I've got, we went into these albums completely objectively to say, well, maybe we've just judged her wrong. Maybe all we've heard is her pop music is, and to me, that's the best thing she's done after listening to these albums is those pop songs. You know, the, we're never getting back together, the Romeo and Juliet song, you know, those are the ones where it's like they're earworms. They're made to be on the radio and for what they are, they do it very well. These albums were made specifically to be a kind of quarantine thing where it's like, you know, everybody's staying home alone. So everybody needs to feel the same. And here's your albums to, to really, you know, it's like, you know, when you, it's like buying furniture at like target, you know, it all looks the same. It all feels the same. It doesn't feel deep. It doesn't feel like it really connects with anything And, and how you can read some of her lyrics and really draw emotional relevance out of that i don't i just don't understand how you can do it because she's writing about things that i just don't think she truly cares about and i think that's the big problem is that when she writes about these things you don't get a sense that she really gives a shit about it it's it's that she knows this is going to sell and she knows no matter what she does at this point there's a million people that are going to just stream it the second it drops and there's it's going to blow up on twitter you know, it's going to sell out at Target, you know, and it's just one of those things where it's, it's kind of, there's a lot of space in music. There's a lot of space in the world for new artists and a lot, but when that space gets continuously taken up by her releasing two albums in a year of really mediocre music, then think of the artists that don't get a chance because, you know, they they didn't create the Twitter buzz that Taylor Swift does. It all just seems so contrived to me, you know, her whole career at this point, it really is upsetting. You know, she can keep making music. I'm not trying to say that she doesn't deserve to create things, but the pedestal she gets put up on and the, the adoration that she generates is just pretty wild to me because it's like, you can't honestly think this stuff is that good. And I think people are just so committed to being a Taylor Swift fan at this point that they can't say that it's bad because then it calls into question everything they've listened to before that and the choice they made to be a Swifty in the first place. You know, it just, I don't know, none of it seems very genuine to me and it all feels very just kind of fake. You know, I I don't know how else to really describe it. Well, I mean, her music was created in a fucking lab and she might as well have been too. Again, she like a lot of times strikes me as the blueprint for what a a Martian would do if they were trying to take over the world with pop music. Mm-hmm. It's got to be something that's easily digestible, totally middle of the road. It, it's not challenging the listener in any way. It, it's comfort food. And that's fine, and that has a place. But like you said, 
no matter what she does, people are going to come along for the ride. So test that. Like, figure out what you actually want to do. If you said to me, no matter what you do, people are going to buy it, I'm going to go, okay, well, let's test that theory, and I'm going to do a whole album of whatever the fuck. But I think with her, she only knows how to do one thing, which is park and bark. Sit Mm -hmm. there, write down uh, Froyo Order Ruined. Almost feels like a breakup to me because I'm never getting DoorDash again. And then she's like, well, there's a song, Vinny, start recording. Like, again, I just don't think she's in touch with what normal people's concerns are, which is the irony because people listen to her music and are like, I feel seen. Yeah. But like this whole quarantine release where it's like two albums that are designed to make you feel normal and we're all in this together. Her fucking quarantine experience is nowhere near the same as yours or mine or anyone else's. Mm -hmm. So that's totally disingenuous. If she wants to say, hey, I have a great life. I haven't been affected by this. I'm able to still work and make a ton of money off you people. So I should reward you with two albums that are meant to be comfort food to get you through this. There you go. It, it's it's the, the sultan handing down treasures from on high. But this yeah. idea of like, yeah, I'm having a real hard time too. It's like, I'm sorry, I find that very hard to fucking believe. Yeah. I find it hard to believe that that much effort goes into what she does. More effort goes into the things people write about her than her actual content. That yeah. BuzzFeed article that I sent you where this mm-hmm. person like argued for why she should, basically all but argued for why she should be a fucking Nobel laureate. Yeah. I wanted to puke, and not because I have that solid of an agenda against Taylor Swift, although I'm sure we seem that way now, but <laughs> yeah. I just remember reading that and being like, you got to be fucking kidding me. If you like it, you like it, that's great. But you have wasted all of this time and energy talking about what Taylor Swift means to you. Mm-hmm. Why don't you talk about how relaxing your last round of diarrhea was? Like. <laughs> It, it's worth the same. I'm sorry. Just like it's insulting how little effort she puts into it because of exactly what you said. These fucking chumps will buy it anyway. Mm-hmm. So we're not necessarily turning this into a referendum on Swifty's taste, but she sure makes it hard not to when she insults your fucking intelligence like that and you still support her. So yeah. do what you're going to do. But, you know, I, I'm sorry. I just don't think she cares about her fans because if she did, she'd challenge them and and do more than she has because yeah it's just the same garbage every time and it keeps getting diluted yeah she and it just seems like she's picked her lane and she just keeps narrowing it down further and further and further so she's really just on one track now because she fills that whole void of now she's kind of filled up the whole void of of, of folk music you know and that's this is what people are going to consider folk music and it's just like there are so, so many great, great folk artists still around, you know, and not just talking about ones that existed before, like, you know, Bob Dylan before he went electric. You know, I don't think she's making anybody listen to him less or anything like that. But there's tons of artists that do their own really indie kind of stuff that she's just taken up all of the space for that, you know, with, with these albums. And, and I just don't think she and if she matched, you know, and was as good as those other ones, like if she was as good as the Hyam album. I would say that's great. You know, it's great that music, that an album that good has been that popular, but the quality of the music does not match how popular it has become. And the fact that she had, I think it was the guitarist from the national, the national is another, I don't, I don't know. We've never really talked about them, but the national is another band that I just think is terrible. 
everything they do sounds the same. It's all just this shoegazer, lonely, sad, atmospheric music. And the fact that she had somebody on there, it's like you knew the absolute aesthetic she was going for. She couldn't do it herself. So she brought in Justin Vernon from Boney Bear and she brought in Aaron Dessner from The National um, because she knew they do those things better than she does. And that's who she needed because if she, if you're not going to be passionate enough to get good at the type of music, I understand having a producer come in that can polish things up. But if you're not going to be passionate enough about the style of music that you're playing, that you're advertising yourself as being a participant of, you know, it just, the, the best things that she did was when other people came in to help her with these songs. And it's just like, go back to the pop music, go back to like the red album. And like, what was the other one? 1980. 1989 or whatever that other one was um you know go back to those where it's like those were a lot more authentic i might I still might not have liked them but they didn't make me as upset that they existed because it's just she's putting on clothes that don't fit yeah. is, is kind of how i see it and it just doesn't i don't know it's it's really upsetting to me that it's as popular as it is and the other real quick thing to, to send this on its way because i feel like we've been punching on taylor swift <laughs> for a couple rounds here but like you look at someone like John Lennon, Hall of Fame douchebag, but had actual talent. Mm-hmm. And when he spoke about whatever he was working on, there was substance there. There was gobbledygook and there was self-aggrandizing statements. But yeah, you had to sift through a song like, you know, God. God is a concept by which we measure our pain. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in Buddha. I don't believe in the I Ching. Like that whole song off of Plastic Ono Band. You have to kind of engage with a song like that and when he talks about it he might ramble as we have a tendency to do on this podcast but the thought is in there and -hmm. he's overwhelmed by it and he can articulate it whereas you listen to like taylor swift and as much as like i don't think the hyam album was bad and i don't like begrudge them anything yeah whenever they admit like yeah we wrote this song in five minutes and that's like all they have to say about it i'm like yeah Okay, well, to me, that calls in the question of, like, the artistic authenticity. Again, spooky term. I realize it's hard to pin down what is authenticity. But I have a hard time swallowing it when, like, no song should rely on the artist's context for it. It should stand on its own. But when you do research it, it's got to be more than what you get with Taylor Swift, which is like, oh, I don't Mm -hmm. know. It's like when you see a cute boy and he reminds you of your favorite sweater, which has a corgi on it, which is so funny because you like corgis. And you're like, they have great butts and he had a great butt. And I was like, that could be a song. (laughs) And I'm like, get the fuck out of my face with that shit. So if you like it, do your thing. But just be forewarned. I don't think she loves you back the way you love her. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, I have one more for my worst of albums on here, and it was the 1975 Notes on a Conditional Form. Was this one that you had as well? What a coincidence, Jeff. I also had that one. Yeah, and this, for the same reasons that I didn't like the Taylor Swift albums, was the same reasons I didn't like this 1975 album. It's, I think it's, you know, I I even forget what the guy's name is, and it's probably for the best anyway. Um, But it's, it for some reason... You know, I, I really don't mind just regular old pop music. Like if it's just, I'll, I'll even have a great appreciation for it. Like, you know, a song like Cheerleader, you know, I don't know if people that one that like, oh, I found myself a cheerleader. Like that song, I love it. It means nothing, but it's a great little dance hit. You know, it doesn't, I don't necessarily have to have it be this emotionally deep song for me to really love it. 
But the night when an artist like Taylor Swift or the 1975 try to create these albums that they're like, this is my magnum opus. You know, these are the things that I'm really passionate about. And they come out with stuff that it's like, you clearly don't mean any of this. You clearly are not passionate about this. You've just found what you think people want to hear. And the fact that it's successful does not, should not to you say that you are a successful artist. You know, it's, you had, you are successful at kind of bullshitting people. And that's what this 1975 album was to me was just like, he had this grand view of making this monumental kind of pop rock electro album. And some of it was okay, but the majority of it was, was outright bad. It was. And again, like if you have just this lightning bolt of inspiration and these larger than life ideas that you're just like, and you want to swing big and you're grasping it. How do I take the concept in my head and translate it into music for the masses? If you swing big and you miss that's completely understandable. Mm-hmm. But if your attitude is, and I have to assume from the, the quality of work and the interviews again that go with it, that with the 1975, Maddie Healy is banking on that album coming out and two things. Well, one thing, he's banking on people who are too afraid to admit that something that they like was not up to their standards mm-hmm. because they think it means they have bad taste. So I love Elvis Costello, but when he comes out with something that sucks, like I did not like half of his new album. Hey, Clockface. there's yeah. some stuff on it. I was like, Hey, all right. And then the stuff he released as singles. I was like, fuck this. This sucks. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean I have bad taste for liking other stuff that he's done, but people are so afraid to admit that something they love that maybe they have a stake of their own identity in might not be that good or has lost a step. Yeah. So people like Maddie Healy are banking on releasing something and his fans are going to go, they've done it again. They've done it again. Uh, They just keep releasing all this gold. Like now an album has to be just outright. You basically have to release a blank CD to get trashed in reviews because if the person reviewing it liked you already, they will make excuses for like, well, you know, Maddie Healy, it might not be like the most profound thing, but it doesn't matter. It's the thought yeah. that counts. And it's like, no, the thought is what counts when you put in the fucking effort. And all this was was sitting around literally nasal gazing or er, uh, navel gazing. I'm so mad. And just being like, <laughs> all right, well, whatever comes rolling out of my little pea brain next is going to make it to the album. And it's clear that that's what happened. So much the same flavor of everything I've said about Taylor Swift. Rewind the podcast for the last 12 minutes and just substitute the 1975 for everything I've said about Taylor Swift. Same deal. Yeah. And and, and for me, it's the kind of thing where it's like Bruce Springsteen has released albums that I think are dog shit. Mm -hmm. You know, like the Working on a Dream album was not good. Sucks. Devils and Dust was not good. You know, so like there's plenty of albums that, well, not plenty, but I mean, there's a few albums that he's released and I'm like, eh, for the majority, for the most part, I didn't like that one. Like the Human Touch album, there's some great songs on there, but like, I wouldn't want to hear the majority of that in concert. I'd be disappointed that, you know, it took the place of other things. So, you know, I think the problem with Taylor Swift in 1975, and there's probably a plethora of other artists that fall in the same category is that, you know, the fans are not willing to be critical of their favorite artists. You know, and I think even when we were talking about Bruce's letter to you, like obviously in this podcast, Bruce Springsteen is, I think the be all end all when it comes to 
musicians. You know, I think he is the greatest one that's ever existed. You know, and, and I say that for myself without any hyperbole. Like he is, if you gun to my head, you ask me to pick my favorite artist of all time, it's Bruce Springsteen. I'm still perfectly willing to be critical when things aren't up to snuff. Um, and there was a couple songs on Letter to You that, you know, I still were like, yeah, you know, I wouldn't skip them because I'm listening to the whole album anyway, but are not as good as the other ones on the album. You know, and I think when you're unwilling to be critical of your favorite artists, that's when they lose credibility is because then they don't have to really give any critical thought to what they're, what they're producing. Like Taylor Swift could have probably taken five songs from each of those albums and made a pretty decent album. And if she put that together and made it so, you know, we probably wouldn't have hated it as much. Cause I think between the two of us on that first album, there was a couple songs that were okay. And then on the second album, I'm sure we each could have found a couple songs that were okay. So, you know, even if she came out with a 12 album or 12 song album, you know, we each picked, you know, we got six that we liked out of the 40 that she released on these two albums. You know, I think that's something that would have been much better. And I think people not being able to be critical of their favorite artists is a reason why, you know, it's kind of dangerous. You know, I think it, it, it means that people are not going to be as creative as they should be because they know no matter what they put out is going to sell. Right. Yeah. And then that, that also exposes those people. You're only in it for the money or the attention and you're worried about that drying up. And it's very clear from Taylor Swift's lyrics, like she thrives on attention and affection. Yeah. So if that's gone. She doesn't exist. Her her own sense of object permanence is tragically skewed. Um, yes. And if I can grandfather in one more album very quickly, I don't yes. have much to say about it. It's not one we covered. Megan Trainer's 2020 release. It's called like <laughs> My Treat or Treat Yourself or whatever the fuck. I'm not even going to dignify it by looking up the actual <laughs> title. What a fucking garbage festival. If you want to listen to this album, go ahead and take whatever's in your trash right now, stuff it in your ears, and go to bed. Like, that's <laughs> basically what this album was. Straight up trash, start to finish. I didn't realize we were still letting Megan Trainer make music, but maybe now we should stop. I didn't know that she made anything other than that. She was that all about that bass, no treble song, right? Yep. That, I mean, oh, I, li bad. I like being fat, but I'm going to lose a bunch of weight and then fat shame people. Yeah. I know you lie. Your lips are moving. That song's about you, bitch. You wrote that song about yourself. <laughs> yeah, I really, I, I don't think I've ever liked anything she's released. I certainly didn't listen to that album. So, um, I'm, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and trust you on this one and, and continue not listening to that album. Do not engage. <laughs> uh, so what do you say we get to, um, I feel like worst songs. I mean, I, I didn't really have any worse songs. They both came from the Taylor Swift in 1975 albums because they were just so actively bad. I think the one by Swift is my absolute worst song of the year. I mean, that's the one I think was the second sing single that everybody's was just clamoring for. And they were just like, this is the greatest thing she's ever done. It's like it literally the lyrics say nothing, say, say less than nothing. It, all it says is that she knows how to rhyme words. Yep. And, and by, by that same, yeah, exactly. Well, and if we're going to talk about an artist who has all the accolades in the world is in fact a Nobel laureate, um, a poet in his own right, a, a, a towering figure in, in folk and Americana, changed the landscape of music. 
I, know I think Jeff knows where I'm going with this one. <laughs> I am giving worst song of the year to Bob Dylan's Murder Most Foul. <laughs> 16 minutes of absolute fucking gobbledygook. Just goes to show you, you need to be critical about the greats. Like, we need to be able to be critical about our artists when they fuck up. And he tripped over his own pee-pee on this one because yeah. it is a dog shit song. Yeah. I am mad at people that I respect when, like, Timothy Showalter, uh, Strand of Oaks. Yeah. He was like, oh, I listened to it, and then I sat and meditated on it and listened to it again. I'm like, you wasted over 30 minutes of your life. <laughs> you should have been working on that new album. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Taking a good shit in total silence is worth more of your time than listening to Murder Most Foul. <laughs> Fuck that shit. It's just like boomer fetishism about, like, where were you when Kennedy died? You know where I was? I wasn't even fucking alive yet, so how do you expect me to connect to this stupid song that you've written? Like, you wrote this for a very specific group of people, and that's fine, but I, I'm not obligated to like it because it came from Bob Dylan. Fuck off. Yeah, I'm pretty sure even my dad didn't like it. And if there was a more target audience for that song than, than my dad and his generation, then I, you know, I don't know what, there, what would be, uh, but even he didn't like it, so... That that's pretty much all I needed to hear. I listened to it anyway because I felt like you know you got to we're a music podcast. Yeah. Bob Dylan comes out with music like you got to at least give it a listen whether we really cover it in depth or not. Uh, yeah, it's just not. It was not good. Yeah, not good. Yeah, um, hot garbage. Yeah. <laughs> hot garbage. Um, I will say though that we we should be looking forward to a new album from Strand of Oaks pretty shortly here. I'm pretty sure. I think he's yeah. done recording and everything. So. Look for that one on the pod, I'm pretty sure. Um, now, I think we can move into our worst musical moments. And for me, this really kind of dovetails with worst collaboration as well. So I think we probably have the same, at least the same one of them. Um, but why don't you start on your worst musical moment of the year? Well, my worst musical moment actually dovetails with my best musical moment of the year where my worst moment was the CMAs completely snubbing John Prine, Jerry Jeff Walker, and Billy Joe Shaver. Now, I have no fucking clue who Billy Joe Shaver is, so I want to be a hypocrite and be like, he's so important, but at the yeah. same time, I'd be more of a hypocrite if I was like, they forgot John Prine and Jerry Jeff Walker, who are the guys I've heard about, and I don't care about the one that I haven't. Yeah. So I went, and I listened to some of uh, uh, Shaver's stuff, and... I can see why people like it and I can see why people, if you are a fan of him would be upset because those are those, whatever I think of them, whatever my experience is with any of them, I can't say I'm the biggest authority on John Prine or mm -hmm. Jerry Jeff Walker, but they meant something mm -hmm. to the world of country music and got completely fucking snubbed by these supposed gatekeepers of the craft. Yeah. But, where this dovetails with my best moment is when Jason Isbell and Amanda Shires turned in their badge and gun and went, fuck you, we no longer wish to be lifetime members yeah. of this Country Music Association, specifically because you've forgotten three of our most important forebears. And then, supplemental worst, fucking Charlie Pride gets honored yeah. at the CMAs and not soon after gets COVID and dies. Yeah. So figure that one the fuck out. Yeah, and, and to me... You know, knowing and you know, we could both of us, I think, could easily dive in, you know, to the politics of the of 
the world that we live in right now, you know, the way this pandemic has been handled, um, the Black Lives Matter movement and how it got co-opted in order to win Joe Biden the election. You know, it's it's really, you know, there's a lot of things that we could unpack about that. Um, there's a lot of things that really piss me off about what's gone on. The fact that they pulled Charlie Pride up there, who is of an advanced, who was of an advanced age already, um, you know, was the first really prominent black artist in country music. And there really hasn't been many since, um, you know, because specifically the gatekeepers of country music, I think, just don't really care to let those voices be heard, um, you know, but they wanted to have their cake, have their moment of Black Lives Matter, have Charlie Pride up there and, and honor him. And while he certainly does deserve the accolades, you know, knowing the CMAs and what they've done in the past, how they handled the precautions for COVID, which they didn't have any whatsoever, um, which I think was another part of why Jason Isbell and Amanda Shires handed in their badges, because they were like, if you're not going to be, you know, a leader in in this, when so many artists believe this way, because you want to listen to half of Florida Georgia Line and all these goons that make this tan lines and tailgates country music, you know, I, I really can't help but think them honoring Charlie Pride was very disingenuous and was their way to say, hey, we're part of the movement too, you know, to get a little bit of shine for that and not because they actually care about honoring him. And then it basically killed him because that's where he contracted the virus. Um, and it's just the fact that, you know, it, it just, to me, it's just all disgusting. Um, that the CMAs went through with that. And I really can't, I can't tell people enough how much they need to lose their respect for that organization. And whether we have a country music awards or not, I don't think matters as much as not having those anymore, not allowing that organization to really have the sway over the industry and the genre of music that they do. Because when artists like Tyler Childers and Sturgill Simpson and Margot Price you know, and these folks are speaking out and saying, hey, you guys need to change how you do things. You need to start taking responsibility in the world and leading the way instead of just falling in line with folks because you don't want to make people upset. You know, they need to start listening to them because they're going to completely lose any artists that really mean anything. Because I'll tell you, this generation, this Luke Bryan, you know, the Jason Aldean, all these folks that make this kind of music that's not going to last. You know, this is a fad, you know, people still listen to George Strait and Patsy Cline and Glenn Campbell and all these stalwarts of, of country music past, because that was classic, great music. There was nothing bad about that music. This music these days is great for the radio. It is not going to last like those songs do. You can mark my words on that. I will stake whatever amount of money I make for the rest of my life on the fact that Sam Hunt is not going to be an artist. We remember in 25 years. The fact that the CMAs have completely sold themselves out to this style of music is really going to be the end of their organization, or at least should be. And I guess the only hope I hold out is like you talk about how BLM was largely co-opted by the Biden campaign to get orange bad man out of office. Mm -hmm. And and while that is obviously getting rid of Donald Trump is a, a worthy goal. But you're you're correct that this movement that exists by black people for black people was taken over by the fucking Democratic Party and given a fucking new coat of paint. 
and mm-hmm. also used by the other side, used by Republicans. Yeah. Like, BLM is burning down cities. I'm like, show me what fucking city burned down during all of this, you yeah. dumb motherfucker. And then also, look at what side of politics dovetails with country the most. I'm not, I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but the fact that the CMAs came out and they were like, hey, let's just have a nice chill time, y'all, and not talk about the fact that, you know, the country's a giant pile of COVID shit right now. So there'll be no political statement. Nobody better pull a Kaepernick and take a knee during the broadcast. Yeah. But will it's the equivalent and bringing Charlie Pride in, not to like demean him because if, if receiving the act, the Lifetime Achievement Award meant something to him, I don't want to take that away from him. Yeah. But it sure on the CMA's part smacked of, well, I have lots of black friends, so I can name them. Charlie Pride. Um, you know, the guy, the so- guy that was with, uh, that uh, that did that play chicken with a train song. You know, he was yeah. he did country. What's his name? It's not coming to me. I'm just oh, I didn't get enough sleep last night. I just, yeah, you know, it's just everything going on. Like they like not to be offensive about it, but they basically went, "Who is country music's token black guy that we can make like ourselves look great by elevating him?" And it's like mm-hmm. then the gesture fucking means nothing because you did it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, and I think despite things like that happening co-opting someone like charlie pride for your own selfish reasons and then killing him or co-opting the blm movement for your own selfish reasons to raise your profile i think more and more we are seeing if you want to call us the proletariat you're seeing the people on the ground we are not content to eat the fucking scraps anymore we are not content to let anyone rest on their laurels. And I think you're absolutely right in the sense that Morgan Wallen is not going to be receiving a fucking Nobel Prize anytime soon. No. These people will be exposed with time. It is the best disinfectant. As time goes on, we are going to stand less and less for this bullshit. And I think you will see the the wheat separated from the chaff and... Maybe Sturgill Simpson never wins a Country Music Association award, but who gives a fuck? The ceremony itself and the organization itself will become less and less relevant the more people do outside of those structures and avoid the gatekeepers. Small tangent, someone like Tim Dillon, who is a comedian and a podcaster, Mm -hmm. in the worst year fucking ever, made his nut. He makes $76,000 a month. On yeah. Patreon on his podcast. He went outside the model and showed that you don't fucking need it anymore. So the more that artists and those of us that support them and do things like this podcast, the more we don't kowtow to the established order, the mm-hmm. more the bad stuff's going to go away. So I'm optimistic about the direction country music can go. It's going to be hard getting there. The growing pains are going to be really tough. But I think we have a lot to look forward to with more socially conscious, artistically inspired and invigorated people who are going to take back the art form. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm looking forward to it. I think, you know, I think we'll probably see, you know, I know Sturgill came out with an album. What was that last year? Um, you know, and he did the, the cut and grass. I can't imagine the cut and grass albums really impeded on his creative process at all. I think it was just something that he decided he he'd really like to do um, and kind of go back to his Sunday Valley days and, and play that kind of music again. Um, you know, I'd love to see another Tyler Childers album come out, you know, and I'd love to hear, you know, more um, Coulter Wall just came out with another album as well. He's a very interesting artist. You know, guys that sounds like he's 65 years old. Sounds like, you know, Johnny Cash did towards, towards the end of his, of his days. 
but I think he's like 26 or something like that. You know, it's just a very, you know, a guy like Billy Strings, you know, writes a song like Dust in a Baggie, which is a I really, love that song. Yeah, it's a great song. Um, you know, I think people like that that really look at, you know, what country music, where it came from and making it for a new generation, but not losing how it used to be, you know, not losing the traditions, you know, of the storytelling that country music is known for. And that really, that's what the genre is. You know, I'm really looking forward to more artists like that getting more shine. And I think in the social media age, that's easier for them to do because it, like you said, we don't need radio anymore. It's nice to listen to the radio. It's nice to have radio stations. And that still is a viable source of breaking artists. But when you're talking about everybody having Spotify, and there's a free version of Spotify, you know, everybody having, you know, if you have an iPhone, you get Apple Music, you know, all these ways that you can consume music outside of the standard ones that we had in, you know, growing up in like the 90s and early 2000s. You know, you don't have to give your computer viruses anymore <laughs> to listen to, to the newest albums, you know, it's a really nice thing that we have. And I think the more that gets taken advantage of, the more that artists, you know, just decide not to even bother with radio, the more success we're going to see them have. And that's encouraging to me because it's going to make less and less space for the songs that just don't mean anything, you know, for the artists like Florida Georgia line and Luke Bryan and Jason Aldean. And I already hear less from them, you know, in the last few years than I did previously, because, you know, it's, it's so much easier. There's so many more mediums for artists to get their music out there. And I really think moving forward, we're going to hopefully have kind of a renaissance about, you know, what we deem acceptable, you know, for artists to release. And, and I'm, and I'm really excited to see what they're able to do with it. As am I. Absolutely. And bring yeah. back Kazaa in 2021. y'all. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. LimeWire. You know, oh fuck. Yeah. Oh man. I, I remember LimeWire just absolutely devastating my family computer. Sorry about that, dad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and a laptop and a laptop of mine, but that was for other. Yeah. There were other things getting downloaded yeah. that were, that were problems. Let me yeah. let me just say I can only speak for myself, but it wasn't me downloading music from family computer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and moving on, for me, my my worst musical moment is also my worst musical collaboration. It was Eric Clapton and Van Morrison. And if you listen to a recent podcast, I think it was what, two two episodes ago that we kind of went in on them and I, they, they both have decided that COVID is not something that needs to be worried about, you know, in the face of making sure that the music venues and, and touring survives and the motivations for them could not be more transparent because nobody is buying an Eric Clapton album these days. Nobody is buying a Van Morrison album these days. These two are making their money from live shows and touring. So when they say, oh, we need to save this for the, for other artists, I understand there might be some other artists that benefit from it, but they're not really looking to benefit other artists. They just want to make sure the venues stay open so that they can make their money. And it the way that they're going about it is not in any sort of really genuine way. And the problem that the biggest problem I have is that there's so many artists that are donating, you know, amplifying these these organizations that are really trying to keep venues open. 
And it's not specifically just so they can make money. You know, Laura Jane Grace has been very active with trying to keep these kind of mid-sized venues open. And while those are the size venues that she and Against Me and the other bands that she plays with will play, you know, she has a strong, such a good respect for other artists, not only in her genre, but in every genre. She says everybody should get an opportunity to play these things. So she amplifies the voices of the organizations. Now, the organizations that Eric Clapton and Van Morrison are amplifying are theirs. And the problem, and the biggest thing is, I don't know how much room there is for other artists to get promoted in those things more than they just want to make sure that they have a viable source of income. And they've both proven themselves to be very shitty people in general, in different ways, but shitty in general. And it just, I don't know, it just, it's so transparent why they're doing it. And it, it's upsetting that anybody would take it seriously. I mean, it's the same thing as the Charlie Pride thing <laughs> with the CMAs. It's couching a very selfish motivation under the guise of altruism. Well, we don't want these venues and these artists to suffer. So since we have a platform, we'll make sure that they're taken care of. And it's like you said, like that revenue's got to come from touring mm -hmm. at this point, especially because... That the internet exists. That information is out there. You can see what an absolute piece of shit Eric Clapton is. I'm sorry, but as someone who's you know perhaps done a substance or two in his life, I can't <clears throat> say that drugs have ever made me racist. No. So Eric Clapton can be like, "Oh, I was out of my head, and I I got on stage and talked about how all the black people should leave England and it's a white man's country." The drugs didn't make you do that. They the drugs were a key in the keyhole. That opened it up, and you just let it all come pouring out of your little fucking yeah. pea brain. So don't sit there and pretend like, oh, I'm a victim of substance abuse. Like, no, you're fucking not. That was all in there, and the drugs just brought it out. They yeah. just allowed you to be uninhibited. So don't give me that shit. How disingenuous to people with actual problems. Like, yeah. So these guys are full of shit. Their little crusade is totally full of shit we'll always have astral weeks but other than that i'm done with both of these motherfuckers yeah yeah and i i certainly am never going to spend money on anything that might possibly benefit them um you oh, know no. if, if it turns out that van morrison has a couple albums that he doesn't make any money from i might buy those specifically just so i can show him and say hey i bought these albums of you that you get nothing from um and it's just it for me i don't know for someone like eric clapton i've never really thought he was great you know I, i've thought he was okay like i've enjoyed cream you know i've enjoyed some songs that he did uh but i've never thought he deserved to be on a platform you know and put up there with like the eddie van halens and Jimi hendrix and princes of the world um i've always thought he was a pretty mediocre artist when he creates things on his own his best songs were covers that he did of other people um you know i shot the sheriff is a great song but he didn't write it right and it, yeah it's just Van Morrison was the more disappointing one to me because of just how much of his music I've listened to, how much of it was really great. Like Astral Weeks as a whole album is incredible, but, you know, specifically Domino, Dark Side of the Road, Into the Mystic, um, you know, Brown Eyed Girl is one of the most ubiquitous songs ever that I've never gotten sick of, you know, and it, and it takes a certain talent to be able to do that, you know, because you think of, you know, and I've just painted myself into a corner here. They can't really think of another one. Oh, don't stop believing by journey, you know, an objectively like pretty good song, but it's just, I've just been beaten over the head with it in my yes. life that I can't really stand to hear that song anymore. You know, it's not a bad song. It's just one I'm absolutely tired of. Um, Brown eyed girl is just as famous as that one, but never have gotten sick of that one. Anytime it's on, 
I'm good with it. You know, and, and it's just for me, so disappointing to hear him say that. And it doesn't surprise me, I guess, because when you look at an artist like Elvis Presley, you know, basically stole black music. Eric Clapton did the same thing. Um, Van Morrison did the same thing. You know, you could say Van Morrison was probably the most talented of any of those, you know, just in his ability to absolutely wrap himself up in that kind of music and do his own thing, you know, not specifically just stick to a genre, but, you know, just to hear him after spending a career, basically living in the world of R and B music that has been kind of so, so many times has been co-opted by white artists when it should be just black artists getting all of the accolades for this. And then coming out against a, a virus that has really, really decimated the black community. Um, I'm not sure about worldwide, but at least I know in the United States and we've got the worst, you know, outbreak of it of anywhere in the world. So it's probably a pretty accurate thing to say, to hear him say like, oh, COVID's a hoax, like don't stay inside. It's like the music that you've stolen from those people, now you're saying that they shouldn't worry about this disease, that they shouldn't worry about this virus. It's just very much like whatever angle you want to look at how Van Morrison is doing this, there's no angle that makes him look good. No, it's disingenuous. And for the record, like you are allowed to have whatever your politics are, and I am allowed to not put money in your pocket. Like if you advocate genocide, like if you were to take someone like, um, uh, not rage. Uh, who am I think? I'm totally tongue tied right now. This looks so bad. Not rage against the machine. <laughs> nah, God damn it. Surge tanky and system of a down. Oh yeah. Um, if you're to take someone like system of a down and flip their position where they're like, the Armenian genocide never happened. You're never going to see a fucking dime from me. A Holocaust yeah. denialist will not see a dime from me. If you're a shitty, you know, like Tanner, friend of the pod, Tanner and I had this conversation about Blackberry smoke. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, I feel like they're probably Republicans. And I'm like, well, I mean, I just because they play swamp music, I don't know if that's a guarantee because yeah. there are a lot of country artists. We've seen all the ones we talk about, Margot, Sturgill, et cetera, who are, for lack of a better term, woke. Um, You know, you you can have minor political disagreements with someone and still listen to their music. Mm-hmm. But why would I let someone like Van Morrison, who is arguably talented, like, why would I let someone like him reveal his motivation, which is, I just want to make money, I don't actually care about any of you, mm-hmm. and then go, yeah, good enough for me, and give him money. So yeah. it's less of me being like, if you don't agree with the lockdowns, then fuck you. And more like, if you don't agree with them simply because you're losing money off of it, you don't care about other people, which means you don't care about me, so why am I going to give you my precious money so that you can encourage other people, like we're talking about here, to die to take their lives in their hands to keep you in figgy pudding and ascots go fuck yourself yeah yeah just is not a it's it's not a good look and i think it's going to really kind of taint his legacy as an artist um because for me i'm never going to be able to think of an album like astral weeks without feeling a little weird about the fact that i still like it you know and i I think that's that's going to be a problem for him and i think eric clapton's always had that stigma about him you know i think anybody that finds out what he said. And again, like you said, like, you know, uh, drunk words are just speaking a sober mind, you know, is Mm kind of, is kind of how I always have looked at that is nobody becomes somebody that they're not, or that they've never been when they do drugs or drink too much. That's always been in there. It's just when you do the drugs or 
or drink too much, it's that's allowed to come out now. You know, it's you don't have the filters that you're able to keep up to keep those things inside. So when he said that stuff, like I at no point when someone says something when they're hammered, do I, you know, maybe it's the way they act or they get mad or something like that. I'm like, okay, well, you were just drunk. But if you say some racist shit when you're hammered, like I'm not about to think that that's not something you only thought of because you're drunk. Yeah, you, you know, meant like, that shit. You meant it because now you just don't have the filter that the societal filter that you know that's not okay to say in front of people or really okay to think, but definitely not okay to say. You know, you've you've taken that filter out. Those are the thoughts that you had. Like those didn't just pop in there because you because you had seven Bud Lights instead of six. You know what I mean? It's like it. There's no that. There's no threshold that you cross when you're drinking. It's like you just you're just a racist and people found out and you tried to like come up with a reason why you said it and it's bullshit. It's garbage. And I think you're a garbage person. If you really expect people to believe that and then get mad when they call you out for it years later, like, Oh, well that happened when I was younger. I don't feel that way anymore. It's like, well, I, I've never said anything like that. So yeah, tell it to David Duke <laughs> motherfucker. Like that's yeah, I've never said anything like that. It's it just, Maybe you reformed. Maybe you've changed your opinion. But the fact is, you were a full blown adult when you said yep. that. So, and nothing about your current behavior indicates to me that you have changed in a meaningful way. Yeah, and just to, you've reinforced it with this is just by yep. advocating saying that this disease is not as bad as people think. Well, I think it's. I just saw a statistic today: every thirty three seconds, someone is dying from COVID in in the United States. Outrageous. But hey, that's the that's the price we pay for Eric Clapton to buy a pair of dungarees that fit real snug and strings for his guitar. Yeah, garbage, garbage. I hope, I, honestly, I hope Fender drops him as a featured artist. I never, I don't, I don't think they ever will. No. Um, but you know, that's the that's the kind of statement I think that would really mean something. Is if Fender is like we're not sponsoring him anymore. Yeah. Um, that would be great because I, have, in the background, you can see, I have a Fender Stratocaster. I love Fenders. I hate the fact that Eric Clapton is also a Stratocaster player. Really bugs me. <laughs> well, Jeff, just, you know, keep playing the Stratocaster and, and, and <laughs> pre pretend none of this ugly business ever happened. Hide your head in the sand. We Americans are good at that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, I think time-wise we've, we've uh, really – Okay, we're at about hour and 30 minutes. I think before this one, we knew that it was going to be a slightly longer episode just to kind of recap everything. But um, I do want to say specifically, you know, thanks to everybody for listening so far. You know, this was something that we thought of just kind of on a whim. I think, what was that, in August or so? Mm -hmm. um, and I just randomly, you know, I'd been unemployed for a while. I randomly texted Alex and said, what do you think about doing a music podcast? And you thankfully were like, yeah, let's do it. Um, and then everything kind of came together after that, you know, we thought of the structure that we wanted to have. So it's in, and, and it's, we just got the ball rolling and I never assumed that we would even get this far into it. Um, I kind of am really pleased with what we've done so far and it's been really fun, you know, and I think every week we've, we've tried to get better. We've tried to streamline things a little more, you know, we've, we've get more and more listens as, as time goes on, we get more responses from people as time goes on. So it's really been encouraging for us. Um, so as part of the recap, I'd just like to say thanks to the listeners, you know, the, to the folks so far that have supported us doing this. Well, and to, I would just like to say, you guys could do more. You could do better. <laughs> <laughs> Spread this podcast around, you know, to, it's nice compliments from Jeff, but I, I really think you guys could be doing more for us. And quite frankly, <laughs> you should. 
No. Um, yeah, uh, to echo Jeff, you know, why put a hat on a hat? Thank you. Uh, this has been really fun to do. Um, it's It has changed the way I, I listen to music. It's kind of sharpened my critical analysis. It's made me more aware of what other people are listening to. Um, I just think it's like both a great exercise and hopefully entertaining for you guys. The feedback we've gotten has been extremely positive. So thank you. Yes. And I don't know if you want to talk about what we're going to be getting into next year. You know, this being the kind of last episode that's coming out in 2020 um, of out on that line, but we do have some new content coming. Um, do you want to leave it a surprise and just roll it out? Yeah. Okay. They'll get it. They'll get a little, a little surprise when they get a little surprise drop. Okay. Well, we do have some more, so it won't just, you know, we're going to continue to do the regular episodes as always, but we're going to have some new things for you coming in 2021. Um, it's, we've both been kind of gearing up for it, getting ready for it. So when we're ready to roll it out, um, we think it's going to be pretty special and we hope you think so too. Um, just another form that you can hear what we have to say about some certain things, some certain things in music. Um, but definitely, you know, we want to keep hearing from you. You know, we want to keep these album submissions coming in. Um, I know this is nothing new for you to hear. We say at the end of every episode, but it really means a lot to us when you do submit things because then we know you're listening and we get to know the kind of music that we might miss otherwise. You know, and I think it's something that has been really important to us so far. Um, I think we've got what, like six or seven of the albums that we've done in the 17 regular episodes that we've done that were audience submissions. Um, So it's really, you know, it's a pretty good ratio and it's ones that, you know, otherwise we pick ones that maybe people didn't care so much about. So it's nice when we get that feedback um, from folks to, for those, so those albums to listen to, Um, you know, keep following us on all our socials, you know, Instagram, you find us at out on that line. Um, We do have the Facebook group now, which has been pretty great so far. Um, You'll find us out on that line podcast on that on Twitter. It's out on that line one. And you can always email us out on that line at gmail.com. We're on all major podcast networks. Um, so whatever you prefer to listen to, chances are we're there. Um, if you have one that we're not on, just let us know because we very likely could get ourselves on there. We just may not be aware of it. Um, but just, yeah, let us know. Keep, keep telling us what you want to hear, maybe what you don't want to hear. Um, and we appreciate critical analysis just as much as we like giving critical analysis about the album. So just let us know what's been good so far, what you didn't enjoy. Um, and hopefully we can just make this even bigger and better going into 2021. Yeah. And we're, we are on YouTube, by the way, now I've put the old episodes, it's, it's static imagery, but I will tease that it probably won't be static imagery for long. So you have that to look forward to moving ahead and, um, Yeah, we're just, we continue to expand and we appreciate your help in doing so. Yes. And did you have anything else you want to plug? Yeah, since this is the last one of the year, I want to, I want to get in one last quotation to send us into 2021 to to close out this dog shit year and to bring us positively and out on that line podcast into 2021. Share a little quote from my, my uncle Frank, Frank Zappa. This is one of my favorite quotations of his. All right. Information is not knowledge. Knowledge is not wisdom. Wisdom is not truth. Truth is not beauty. Beauty is not love. Love is not music. Music is the best. Hell yeah. We'll see you next year. (laughs) 